welcome to the fifth episode of Two Brits, One Orange Ball. I'm joined again by my bald-headed friend, Mark Littlewood. What is up, Jeffrey? How are we, my man? You well? <laughs> yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. How are you doing? Good, mate. So this is our first video call. Your hair is out of control. Mate, I told you. I've like, I'm, I'm progressing past shit stage and it's nearly getting there, but like, it's only on the top right now. So like the, the outsides are going to come pretty soon. I'll be looking like I did in first year. Yeah, I'm very jealous. That does look like full on Afro. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's pretty intense. The usual fade is not happening. For me, Jay, I'm very aware of how shiny my bald head is. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but you know, it is what it is. You embrace what you have. <laughs> You'd be shaving it every day, don't even lie. <laughs> right, anyway, episode five. Quick, A quick thank you to, to everyone that's been listening so far, actually, because we've, we've just surpassed 250 listens, which is amazing. And, and you know, obviously we started this only sort of two to three weeks ago. So really, really chuffed with that. And uh, a little thank you to to both of our girlfriends as well. Well, your wife and my girlfriend um, who have put up with us during this time and been quite gone in other rooms, which uh, I'm sure they've loved doing. Neither of them have actually listened to any of the pods in full, by the way. That's what it is. <laughs> Not really. Sort of half and half and then just thought, no, we're just going to go and chill. Okay, cool. But yeah, no, great. Thank you very much, guys. That's, um, yeah, 250 listens is brilliant. So thank you. Moving on to the first segment, I suppose, before we speak to Brendan Okoronko at the Stolen Kestrels, there's been a few updates from the BBL, your Knicks, and the NBA as well in terms of when the season might start. First and foremost, the British Basketball League, unfortunately, has come out with more information about their struggles to survive essentially without government to support chairman Sir Rodney Walker has, has come out and said that if we don't get any support then it may well put a number of clubs in a position where they're unable to sustain themselves over the next three months that would have a serious impact on the league and if we can sustain the 11 clubs that, that we, we currently have which is obviously not good news at all and sadly it's those that have their own buildings i.e. Newcastle, Worcester and Leicester that are in the worst position because they have all these overheads going out and nothing coming in because it heavily relies on people and bums on seats, unfortunately, unlike some of the the bigger leagues in, in this country, such as the Premier League, which relies more, more so on sponsorship and, and advertising. So not good to hear, mate. I don't know how much more you've heard on that. Uh, I know there's a little bit of information you had on Sport England and UK Sport as well. Yeah, just that obviously basketball in Britain is one of the few sports that doesn't receive routine funding from either Sport England or UK Sport, um, which is a real shame. Uh, Although it's grim reading, hopefully the sport we love can get the financial support required so that the league can remain solvent and we can continue to do things like this. And yeah, that's all I can add really at this stage. I'm hoping that whether it's government support or or other business owners, that there'll be something that they can do as a league to to sustain the people that they need to, because it would be a shame to see the growth that we've seen with clubs like Bristol Flyers and their new stadium that's coming go potentially to waste would be a real, real shame. And, and obviously we want to see basketball in Britain grow rather than diminish. So yeah, we will we will keep our eyes and ears on that. But moving on to the Knicks, obviously we talked about Chris Paul the other day and the potential of him joining either the Knicks or the Bulls. Now, the traction between the Knicks and Chris Paul, um, which I which I call, by the way, just been out there, is, is gaining momentum. Your thoughts on that, mate? I know you're you're a bit up and down. Yeah, so the 10-time All-Star was obviously having a resurgence season for the OKC Thunder prior to the league suspension. 
And as reported by Ian Begley of SNY, there are still people with the Knicks who feel that bringing Chris Paul onto the roster at this time would jumpstart the franchise effort to build a winning culture, to give those young players winning habits. And obviously, it's almost important to note that New York's new team president, Leon Rose, is, is Chris Paul's former agent, which I think might be a deciding factor also. As we kind of alluded in the previous pod, Jay, at 34, you know, he's contracted to receive 40 million in 2021. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of moolah for a 35, 36-year-old that Chris Paul will be then. Will this appease a Knicks fan base starved of winning? Paul brings a wealth of experience and will likely be a significant upgrade to the current point guards on the Knicks roster, i.e. Dennis Smith Jr. and Kadeem Allen. There's never a dull moment for a Knicks fan, Jay, and this is just the most recent in many. Um, Hopefully, though, if Paul's addition does become a reality, he can become the Vulcan to Knicks playoff contention in the East. I think that's all that Knicks fans are craving at this stage, is to be competitive for the right reasons and be current for basketball reasons. And I think that's what we really, really want at this stage. So hopefully it will be a good move for us if it does come to fruition. I still have my reservations because of his age and because of how prone he may be to injuries and can he really carry a team at this stage in his career. But in all fairness, he's a winner and he's proven that over the years. And, you know, as I say, it's going to be a drastic upgrade. So what are your thoughts on it? Are you happy that he's not going to be a Bulls point guard? I'm I'm a bit like you, man. Mixed, Mixed feelings. I think if you guys get Chris Paul... I want Derek Rose. That's, that's my that's my immediate thing. You can't be going in the playoffs and us being like eight or nine. It's not going to happen. But uh, I think for you guys, if he does come and it would be a test for him specifically. Obviously, he's done an excellent job at the Thunder, but he's now got another year in his legs. As you say, he has the media market that is the Knicks and Madison Square Garden to deal with, as well as being able to be that type of leader and show that kind of leadership to your team who desperately need it, which would be the same with the Bulls. So I think for you guys, it would be a great move. As you say, playoff contention is is something you've craved for many, many years. And I think he puts you in that conversation pretty much straight away, which is going to only be a good thing. For the Bulls, I, I actually think it would be a negative thing for obvious reasons because... I'd hate to see the Knicks being a better franchise. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shy away from it for for yourselves as long as it's not getting rid of people like RJ Barrett and some of your your more core players. I, I think it would probably be a good step. And as we said, from the ball standpoint, potentially would even put you in a better position for that 2021 free agency if you can turn that ship around and give give your franchise franchise a bit bit more credibility at, at that stage. So exciting time for you, mate. And. Um, Obviously, you've also just retained Scott Perry as GM. So, again, your, your thoughts on that? What was your knee-jerk reaction? He signed a, um, a one-year deal agreeing this past Wednesday. Team President Rose actually came out in a statement and said that Scott is a well-respected basketball executive who I've known for more than 20 years and I look forward to continue to work closely with him as we look to build a winning team in New York. My initial thoughts is that Rose seemingly is an advocate for consistency, which I think is a positive for the Knicks in remaining with Perry, who has been with the team since 2017. Rose's next key decision is likely to be that of head coach position in deciding whether or not to attain interim coach Mike Miller. So again, like, like our both franchises at this stage, these front office moves and possible player transactions is an exciting time and hopefully a prerequisite for success moving forward. Time will tell. It all sounds positive for yourselves at the moment, mate. And lastly, before we go on to our interview with Brendan, there's been more progress in terms of potential NBA return. Obviously, 
today being the 1st of May, when we recorded this anyway, practice facilities were meant to be open. Now, that's obviously not happening. It's been pushed back, I think, to the 8th, is it, of May at the moment. Whether that will happen is is an interesting one. Across the league, there seems to be a pretty overwhelming majority of people from the kind of official standpoint who are optimistic that we will have a return this season. The news that next season is potentially going to be delayed and will start in December is obviously quite a big positive to, towards to that but again I know you have some updates in terms of what they've been alluding to where it might happen and things like that so so do let us know what you think mate. Yeah so the NBA is still sorting out possible venues Jay. The MGM Grand in Vegas is a viable central hub and a fitting venue for the conclusion of the 2020 NBA season obviously it's been the venue for many summer leagues in recent years. Some are proposing pod ideas that spread across different regions. The possibility of Disney World in Orlando, uh, where there are practice facilities have been discussed, as reported by Woj via ESPN. Selected practice facilities reopening. There are many different variables that's ultimately going to make that come a reality. I think that ultimately NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and the Players Union will have to be collectively invested when negotiating numerous financial and competitive issues. The quicker they're able to do that, and that's no small feat, then I believe that, you know, NBA basketball will become a reality again. Moving on to the first interview for the Two Brits, One Orange Ball podcast, we welcome Brendan Okoronkwo, guard for the Southern Kestrels, who have just gone on an unbeaten run in NBL Div 1, finishing with a 22-0 record. Having played six or seven years with the rivals Worthing Thunder, Brendan's known as one of the nice guys of the NBL, and he was part of the Kestrels team that achieved one of the biggest upsets in BBL history, beating former league champions in the London Lions in the first round of the trophy. Brendan and the Kestrels went on to beat his former team in Worthing Thunder before blowing out the Bristol Flyers in the first leg and narrowly losing the second, but still going through on points. They then advanced to the BBL Trophy Final in Glasgow, one of the last sports events before the lockdown because of the coronavirus. This was a closely contested game that saw them lose by just two points in overtime to the winningest franchise in BBR history in the Newcastle Eagles. Prior to the final, Brendan received MVP in the 2020 National Cup after registering 16 points, five rebounds, five assists and four steals as the Kestrel ousted their rivals, the Reading Rockets. He was one of the first students at the University of Worcester to join the first team as a fresher where Brendan and I first met. Uh, At that time, the University of Worcester was one of the strongest university basketball setups in the country, having won seven Bucks championships under current Plymouth Raiders coach, Paul James. He went on in that tenure to win a 2012 Bucks championship alongside current Manchester Giants point guard, Callum Jones, Dorian Benjamin, and the now Knights coach, Andrew Wallace. Good to have you on, Brendan. Obviously, been quite a while. What is it, eight eight years now? I think, yeah, 2012. So. Been a while, definitely been a while. How have you been, mate? All good? Yeah, all good, all good. Just trying to trying to stay sane, trying to stay stay safe in these uh in these weird times. What have you been you doing to right? keep yourself busy, mate? Um, when you aren't working, have you been able to train at all? Um, so I actually bought a hoop yesterday for the garden. I was I was going to some outdoor courts that were nearby, it's like Brighton Beach Court. I'm sure many people know that they took the hoops off. Went to a couple of other parks. They were, you know, chained up or locked. So after about a week of no basketball at all, I just jumped straight online and said, I've got to buy just any old hoop. Stuck it in the garden. As soon as I put it up yesterday, it started raining. So didn't get to use it yesterday, but finally got out this morning to play. So yeah, starting to get my sanity back by uh, just just seeing a ball go through a hoop every now and then. <laughs> did you say you were getting some cardio in as well, man? Yeah, I did, well, I did my first ever 5K, probably my last ever 5K as well. And just, just trying to make shift gym equipment and, and, and 
sort of circuits garden really i've got resistance bands a couple of lightweights um found a, a random iron bar that i've been able to attach some of the weights to so i've managed to sort of make a, a barbell yeah just like everyone else getting a bit creative with ways i can still keep size up it's good that you've got that space as well mate i'm in a i'm in a flat so my my exercise pretty much is there walking around the block every day <laughs> which is not, not, not ideal but uh, then again I don't I don't play in div one slash bbl so I don't have to worry about too much these days <laughs> I was going to ask as well mate in terms of like obviously everyone's everyone's kind of looking to to keep themselves busy in different ways at the moment I know you used to anyway be quite a big gamer I used to hear when we were neighbors at uni and um, you play Gran Turismo through the wall quite a lot and uh we won't talk about how you should kick my ass on 2K quite a bit, but uh, if, you, if you have you been playing many games and stuff recently? Um, yeah, I've I've definitely got back into gaming. I haven't I haven't touched 2K for a number of years, so you probably would beat me now if we were to start having some rematches. I'm um, I'm into Call of Duty. That's probably the game I play most. I haven't really been able to game sort of the last few years, but I guess now everyone's got a lot more free time. Been playing things like GTA, Need for Speed a little bit as well. So yeah, my PlayStation's getting getting a lot more use out of it. Had to had to dust it down just as this uh, this lockdown started. Yeah, man. I think I think we're the same. I've just I've just been playing Uncharted Four and uh, Mark's Mark. You're an Assassin's Creed guy, aren't you? I've been hitting the Creed heavy. I've completed Odyssey all over Egypt, man. I'm absolutely loving it. Me and Jay don't play 2K anymore. It wasn't good for our friendship, Brendan. So uh, <laughs> we kind of decided to have a time out on that. It, it used to get quite competitive at times. So it's best that we don't play that anymore. <laughs> who, who was better out of you two? Oh, me, 100%, mate. I'm not even going to get... Oh, yeah. Gonna let you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you play with, Mark. <laughs> yeah, it used to be the Heatles, uh, the 2010 LeBron, mate. That was my go-to move, and I used to just love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I would always play with Derek Rose, obviously. But... <laughs> Just moving on, Brendan, obviously, to just dive into a few questions, but you recently said that you watched the, the trophy final against Newcastle over 10 times. As yeah. you said, you've had a lot more free time. How has the added time to reflect affected your thoughts on the final? Um, I mean, it doesn't make the loss any easier watching it over and over again. I think it makes, I think we'll all realise, everyone from, from the team will realise that we had complete control over the outcome of that game. We, we did everything we expected there wasn't any necessarily surprises that that came our way there was really only two key stretches of play that decided it. i think we had a period of i think two or three turnovers in in four or five possessions uh, and then obviously that last minute and a half of overtime you know there was a few again um decisions or, or plays or situations we probably would have have liked different outcomes or made different decisions but also it's it's nice to just look back at it and say that that was a pretty cool game to be a part of, <laughs> you know. It, yeah, it was it was fun to be a part of. We competed well. I think we represented ourselves and, and showed what we were capable of. And I'm sure yeah, if we did play that game, you know, 10 more times and ran it back straight after, it could have been a different outcome, you know, each and every time you tried to replay that match. What what was the last play of the game, Brendan? What were you looking for? I know you, you, you still got an open jump shot and, and you know, it was just a, it was a 50-50 whether to whether that goes in. But was there something you were specifically trying to set up out of that? I think it was an inbound play, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was, I think we knew that they were going to pretty aggressively deny Ian the ball. They'd, they'd done it for the entire game. Um, so if Ian could have got the ball, it, I think it would have led to a quick pick and roll. Um, we had Trav also flash to the strong side block in case for whatever reason they fell asleep or switched. I actually got left alone on the weak side. I think they were so worried about Ian and Trav that I think Drew left me for a second. 
Um, but the look we got was was one of the options. Matt does a great job. You know, every situational play he draws up. Yes, there's an option A, but he puts everyone in a position that they are in the right position for them. So, you know, if you said to us, we could win a trophy by Trayvon taking a, a mid-range jump shot in December or January, whenever the trophy started, we'd absolutely take that. Um, so, yeah, I think the play worked to design, again, you know, a role, a role different and, and we're, we're winners instead of them. How motivating is it uh, to know that you and your team can compete with some of the best in the BBL in the Newcastle Eagles? I mean, what was it like going up against two-time vets, Ian and Raymond Fletcher and uh, Darius Defoe? And also, what I really wanted to ask you was, is Defoe as mean as he looks out there on the court? Because he looks <laughs> nasty. <laughs> I mean, if you watch that screen he set on me with about a minute and ten left, I think you'll see just how physical he can be. Yeah, he's Defoe is a beast. He, he's a he's a professional. You know, he he knows how to use his strengths literally to his advantage. You know, he knows how to make himself felt out there. He got a number of key rebounds at times where we probably didn't want him to. He got a couple of looks inside on us as well. Yeah, it's it's great to to play against that caliber of opposition. You know, we we respect everyone's game that we we come in front of. We prepare, you know, week in week out for all our opponents and, and scout accordingly as evident by the final and the situation that Newcastle went through leading up to it, that they had some guys on their team that just have that additional level of game that when people were saying that perhaps they weren't favourites to win it just as the game was starting, that can churn out a performance like that. And just like we did, put ourselves in a position to win, they did exactly that as well. You know, six players, a couple of them, um, you know, beaten up or coming back from injury, playing over 40 minutes, when you're, you know, that many years into the league, that's that's pretty impressive. And again, yeah, we're we're sort of happy with how we were able to go in there, prepare for them, and just make it make it. They had to have a perfect game to beat us. And and guess what? They're great players, and they managed to do that on the day. It looked, I mean, like they were going inside a lot, obviously to to get his and Defoe, and they they looked to be going to the post for quite a lot of their offense. I know you had, obviously, Charles doing a great job on Defoe specifically. You had to match up with Defoe a couple of times. What, what was the game plan to contain those two? Because I know, as you say, like they're, they're pros. They, they've got that level of years behind them. And, and they're just that slightly bit physically bigger, perhaps, than some of your big guys. It, I, it obviously was a team effort, but was there anything specific you were doing to try and to slow them down? I mean, you can't, you can't really scout or account for seven foot tall. Um, you know, that just gives you certain advantages that no matter how well you prepare for it, you know, he's going to get a couple of rebounds that a 6'6 six, six guy, 6'7 six, guy wouldn't have got. I think Trav did and John did an excellent job on them throughout the game. I think it's really important for people like you know, Gettys and Defoe, just making them catch it on the block, one or two steps away from the block. You know, that's, 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 good, that's good defense. Um, we knew we had to load up on them as well, so have early, early help from particular places. And then making them have to trust their teammates rather than getting perhaps, you know, beat up or play one-on-one -on -one against, you know, get his in the post. Let's see if he can make a quick move, kick it out, and they have to make a hockey assist along the perimeter. You know, just trying to test them or mix up the kind of looks they got um, throughout the game. And then the other thing we tried to do is just keep that tempo as high as possible. Um, you know, we saw periods where get his had to sit down because we were just turning it into a trap meet. You know, he wasn't able to you know, to get back in transition perhaps, or he didn't have the legs down the next offensive possession. So yeah, we just, they might have had the height advantage, but 
that does lead you to some negatives like speed, perhaps switching matchups, things like this that we were able to sort of counter back with throughout the game. In terms of size, what I noticed was, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the third and fourth quarters, it seemed that when you were on offense, you were starting to run more through you in the post. You obviously got the, the spin move and and one on Fletcher at one point, which was really nice. But it seemed that, you know, you were putting the ball, that you as, as the Kestrels were, were putting the ball in your hands more and running the offense through you at that point. Was that something you were quite aware of you needed to do against people, guards like Fletcher, who were slightly smaller than you going in? Yeah, it's something that we've, we've done all season. Um, if you look at some of our guards and wings, you've got me, Elliot Sentence, Elliot Dads, um, Luke as well, who teams have to try and match up with us. One of us is probably going to have a smaller guy on us. In this case, Newcastle have you know two guys that are just about six foot or under six foot. So at times where yeah their inside game might have beat us up, or perhaps it wasn't as big an advantage letting Travis go to work in the post as it might be against other opposition. Let's mix it up. Let's see how they handle me posting up. Um, I think we got a few excellent looks um, and it just, it changed their rhythm. Um, I think there's one possession I managed to get a score in the post uh, out of a timeout or that I'm one in fact. Next possession down, I'm pretty sure Trav gets a mid range because all of a sudden his man has to step off. You know, he was late on his rotations last time. It's just things like that that we, we've had in our tool belt all year, different looks, different ways to get um, people their scores based on what the opposition looks like, you know, situation by situation and play by play. Um, and me posting up or dad's posting up or sentence posting up is, is just one of those many things we had in our tool belt on offense um, to counter teams that had perhaps smaller guards or smaller wings on us. Sort of further to that, having gone through the whole game and, and obviously experienced that, that level of basketball, is there anything that you would look to change if you were to do it again from a tactical uh, standpoint? I don't think so. I, I think I think we were we were so committed to our game plan. We had everything we needed in those twelve red. Everyone wearing twelve red jerseys to, to go ahead and win. I think there was just again I think two key spells in that game where perhaps it was fatigue, perhaps it was you know the pressure, perhaps it was just you know momentary lapses. Um, where if we could if we could go again, I think we would we would execute or make a few different decisions. Um, you know, I think we did have a lot of success looking back on posting up Fletcher and posting up Glasgow. So, yeah, we could try and incorporate that into the game plan more. Um, we'd probably also try and keep the pace up as much as possible. Um, you know, they managed to slow the game down, which was their advantage. We perhaps didn't keep it going at every opportunity, you know, stops or scores, um, just moving the ball perhaps as much as we could. So, I'm I'm happy and I know the team are happy with the game plan we went in with, but yeah, there's always going to be that, what if we did this? What if we threw it inside one more time? Um, which which you kind of have to shut that noise out and just, uh, and just uh, again, appreciate the game that happened. To be fair as well, Brendan, to, to come back from uh, 10 down at the back end of the third quarter against a team like the calibre of the Newcastle Eagles, that's no, uh, that's no easy task either. And that must have exuded a lot of energy to get back to where you were and to take it all the way to OT? Yeah, we, we actually hadn't had many games where we were in a hole. So at the time, it, it did feel a little bit different to us. I, I can't really put that into better words. I knew we had everything and we knew we had everything to get out of that hole. But yeah, when you go on that run to, to close a gap when you're 10 back, 
you then have to almost do it all over again to go and actually win the game. Again, the run we went on, I, I'm pretty sure it's when Gettys was out of the game. He comes straight back in the game. Well, that changes our focus, changes our matchup, changes our uh, defensive focus as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of, of what we managed to do. We could have easily gone up. We're down 10, you know, fourth quarter, you know, vets down the other end. Let's just call it a day. But, you know, we went right back at them and made play after play, got key stops and, um, and yeah, got that game into overtime. Changing direction a little bit, Brendan. Beating the London Lions is obviously one of the biggest upsets in BBL history. Do you feel that provided emphasis and momentum for you guys going into the next round against your former team in the Thunder? Um, yeah, the Lions game, I'm sure when, it, when it, uh, the result was, was seen by everyone, seemed like a bit of a shock and surprise. But we had set ourselves these goals at the start of the season. We all committed to being able to play at that level and putting on that performance. So when we actually saw the result and you know, won the game, yes, it was fantastic to do and, and you know, giant killers and all these other phrases were being shouted. But actually, that was, that was step one in our trophy set of goals. So there wasn't too much necessary for us to celebrate at that point. Um, going into the Worthing game, yeah, you, you don't want to beat a BBL team and then lose to your D1 neighbours and my old team, you know, a few weeks. <laughs> um, that puts a lot of hard work and wastes it. Um, so, yeah, that, that trophy game against Worthing, I think, shows to you the talent, the, the fan base, the support, um, you know, all the behind-the-scenes actions that allowed those two clubs to go out and compete in a BBL knockout competition. Um, I think it was excellent. I, I loved it. You know, we had great performances from 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 both teams. Packed out attendance, as as Worthing always is. Their their fans are you know some of the best fans in the country. I wouldn't just say to NBL level. As soon as we got through the Lions game, it's right. Who's next? You know, Worthing going and and handle their side of the the NBL versus BBL battles, and then we got to go and play them as well. Which um yeah, which was really fun to be part of. And, and moving on, obviously, to the to the Flyers game, possibly one of the the best games I've seen this season in that first leg between you and the Flyers. Talk me through that game and what it felt like because you guys were so hot as a team and, and went on to beat them by, you know, 30-odd points. You draw the foul on the dozy. I think the first, the first play of the game. What, what were your feelings going into it and, and, and throughout that game? Yeah, I, I can't stress it enough. It was just the preparation that went into all of our, our trophy run was phenomenal. Matt, Adam, Jack's attention to detail um, was great. You know, each team we played against, so they had, again, a size advantage on us. They had a Dozy, Del Pesh. Um, Levi Bradley is 6'7", is and he's playing three, sometimes even the two spot for them. Um, you know, they had bodies they could chuck at us for 40 minutes. But again, with each of, well, having a size advantage does come negative. Travis is great at pulling people away from the basket, which allows us guards to then be able to attack. On that first play, you probably would have seen I'm, I'm basically pointing on the weak side because we had sort of run through and, and dummy run their sets quite extensively. And yeah, Gentry came off. I'm pretty sure he got hard hedged or maybe even doubled. And has to throw a lofted pass into the key. Adozi's not going to be able to, to catch that pass, you know, stop under control, make a move. Um, yeah, I'll just put myself right there and, and, and take a pretty painful charge. Um, and instantly that changes their next, you know, five minutes of play. Can Adozi be aggressive on the boards? 
Trav's going to go at him. Trav doesn't care who is in front of him on the offensive end. He is going to, whether you're six two or seven foot, he is going to beat you up and you are going to feel it for 40 minutes. Um, you know, he went right back at him at the other end. Um, and that's just, that's how I'm able to impact the game or how I felt I could impact that game. Just disrupt them with our defence and then allow my teammates to go and, and um, you know, go and score at the other end. And, you know, look, at, look at Ian's start of the game, Chris's fourth quarter of the game, um, Trav throughout the game. You know, it's, it might have been great for you guys to watch it on, on screens or in, the, or in the arena, but being on the court and being on the bench and being a part of it, um, again, it is it's even more special. And, uh, yeah, it was, was an awesome game to, um, um, to be a part of. I think Ian went six for six from the field early on. I think six for eight for three had 20, 22 points in one and a half quarters. So that, that must have been something. And for Trav, I know, I think, wasn't that his debut? Was that his first game with you guys? Uh, for Trayvon? Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so he had, he had been training with us. I'm pretty sure it was the, 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 as soon as the weekend finished that we, uh, we beat London. Um, I'm pretty sure he, he turned up at training the next week. Um, obviously, Matt had had conversations with him. Um, was, again, was looking at the, the potential matchups we would have throughout um, the rest of the trophy. You know, Bristol, big team. Um, you know, Glasgow with Gettys, big team. Um, and thought, yeah, if, if for, you know, for whatever reason, due to his you know, injuries and, and situation, Trayvon's still around. And, of course, the BBL, you're allowed to have that, that third uh, import American. Um, you know, he was interested in us. We were interested in him. Bring him on. Um, I almost laughed because the first session he came to, you know, saying, oh, how's the knee? How are you feeling? He's like, yeah, I'm a little bit rusty. I've been, you know, running up and down with a couple other teams, but nothing too major. I think the second play when we got into live play, he basically caught it at the elbow, took one bounce and threw down a pretty vicious one-hand dunk. And we're all just standing there saying, this guy is rusty. What does he look like when he's going 100%? Um, <laughs> and yeah, he, when, he, when he checked in the game for Bristol, I think around Slice, and I think I'm the first option on the score. They did a pretty good job to cut me off, but I, I, I kind of knew where he was anyway. And I was like, let's get this guy a bucket. You know, he's, I'm sure he probably had some nerves or a little bit of pressure on him. Um, Bristol, I know, scouted him pretty well. Um, yeah, so let me get my guy an easy bucket to start off his, um, his run with us this year. Bristol will obviously be a, bit more, be a bit more familiar with him from his Leicester Rider days, I assume. But um, for you, mate, I know obviously having played with Worthing for, for so long and being in Div, long, Div 1 for the length of time that you have, going up against someone like Lewis Champion, I, I don't know how many games you've had against him, but I imagine it was, was quite a few. <laughs> was that a big matchup for you? Was that something you thought about or, or not, not so much? Um, yeah, I know, I know Lewis pretty well. We've played, yeah, like probably six or seven seasons now. Against him, um, my first year at Worthing, or my first half season at Worthing, um, we actually played Reading in the final. It was Lewis and Luke Nelson was their backcourt. They absolutely smacked us by about 30. Um, I'm pretty sure Lewis got the MVP over Luke as well that game. Um, wow. Yeah, I've always liked Lewis's game. You've never been able to, to speed him up. He's always, he's always you know, calm, composed, um, knows when to take his looks, knows when to get his teammates involved. Um, and obviously he knows he's got weapons down there at, um, at Bristol. But yeah, he, on the day, he wasn't my sort of key matchup. Um, I also I try not to get too involved in the, you know, personal matchups when it comes to sort of playing games. Um, but yeah, a guy that I've, I've known pretty well, um, you know, we're able to, again, scout him and the rest of the team pretty well. 
Um, and it's, it's, I think it's cool to see people that have made that transition from being a top guy, being a key guy in NBL Division One, and then settling right into to a BBL career. You know, there's no come in, learn the ropes, um, you know, see if you can get some scrub minutes. He's the starting point guard at Bristol Flyers. They got, you know, they got to the cup final. Um, they got to the trophy semi-final. It's great to see people like him that are able to, um, you know, show the pathway that, that you can take. I think for a lot of British players, as you say, to see that is, is really fantastic. And it brings me to another question for you, I suppose, in that your, your motivation, obviously, having gone toe-to-toe with these teams in the BBL, is, is it something that Sonnen are looking to pursue in terms of becoming a BBL franchise? And for you personally, is, is being a BBL player quite a big goal uh, and something you're, you're chasing? Um, I, I can't talk too much about Kestrels as a team. Uh, you know, I'm not involved in, of course, the, the back office side of things. Um, I, will, I will confidently say that our on-court success is down to the infrastructure and the behind the scenes at the club. If they were to make the jump, they have the people, the resources, everything they need to make that a success. Whether it is possible, whether it is allowed, you know, there's always people talking about the arena doesn't have enough seats and, and all the rest of it. If that's going to be a blocking point for Solon, I'm sure they really wouldn't you know, bend over backwards to do it. Um, there, is a, there is a great culture and community feel at Kestrels. And if they're to be part of the BBL, then that would definitely enhance the BBL. You know, they, would, they would comfortably be a better run organisation, on-court, off-court, than comfortably half the league. Um, speaking for myself, I never fully committed to basketball as, as my number one priority. Um, as soon as I finished uni, um, you know, I moved down to Brighton and, and got a full-time office job. Um, now, I've always had that burning passion and desire for basketball. Um, I've, I feel very lucky and grateful that I've been able to play it to the level that I've played and compete in the way I've competed and had the success and also the losses <laughs> along the way um, that I've had. You know, if there was ever a time where the BBL could have been an option for me, I've, I've, you know, I've, I know people, coaches um, you know, across the league, I'm sure if I could have made it work, I would have loved to have jumped at the chance. Whether I would do that today or next season, I don't know, I'm, I'm 28 going on 29. Uh, I know it doesn't sound very old, but in terms of basketball age, you know, there's a lot of young guys and a lot, lot of young British talent that's starting to now want to come back um, into the UK. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy at, at the career and the achievements I've had, you know, just being in Div 1. If there's a chance to be at BBL and still have the same you know, enjoyment and fun and, and success that fits the sort of day job and, and sort of life number one that I live, then, um, then sure, I, I would look at it. But it's not something I'm going to, I'm not going to move up to, to Newcastle tomorrow and just you know, quit my job and quit my life and, and head up there for a season, I don't think. You made me feel very old, Brendan, saying that you're uh, only 28. I'm 32 and I feel like I'm already hitting 40 quite soon. <laughs> basketball age, though. So my, my knees are the age, are twice your age for basketball. So I'm probably about 50 in the knees. Um, (laughs) you've kind of um, already alluded and obviously it's been a fantastic story of success in your first season with the Kestrels just out of interest what sort of me and Jay wanted to know was what meant more to you the MVP of the cup final versus the Reading Rockets or going unbeaten uh, in in the NBL season Hmm. I would 
I would say the unbeaten record. I think it shows it shows the consistency and you know the grind it takes to have that undefeated record. Um, you know, the cup final, don't get wrong, again, enjoyed the day. It was great to lift some silverware, personal and team silverware. Um, a bunch of my teammates, again, had great games. Um, I wasn't expecting to get it at all. You know, Luke, Travis, Ian all had excellent games in terms of stats-wise. Dad's, is, is, Dad's plays the game a way that doesn't always get reflected in the stats, as great as it is, if that makes sense. Um, you know, he's just a great teammate to have. Again, played well. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that I would say the twenty-two, twenty-two and zero. When did it end? Undefeated record, anyway, um, because it just from from day one saying we are able to do this. Are you going to go and do it? Are we going to commit to go and do it? Everyone's saying yes, and then week in week out, actually doing it. You know, I think I think across November and December. I think we had about four or five games where every week it was touted as the one versus two matchup because there was quite a, 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 a two, versus two to five in terms of teams were pretty close. So each week we were getting the team's best efforts, you know, the next best team in the league stepping up to try and beat us. Um, and, that, and that pushed us to, to perform even better. Um, and again, we wanted to protect that and keep the undefeated record going. Um, so yeah, I, I'd go with the undefeated. Moving back a little bit in terms of your time with Worthing for you know the six or seven seasons prior to being with the Kestrels, what what drew you to Worthing after you know obviously leaving the University of Worcester and yeah what what was the decision process behind going to to that to that club first and foremost? Um, at the time, there wasn't actually much of a decision process. So for personal reasons, I moved down to Brighton as soon as I finished uni. Um, again, got my day job, and the first thing I did was just look at what teams were in the local area. Worthing was the closest. Worthing was uh, the one in the highest league. I sent a pretty awful highlights package to to, to Daniel Hildreth. He said, <laughs> "Look, again, we've we've you know we've got a roster. They they at the time were actually I think they were 0 and 10 when I first spoke to him. Bottom of the league had signed. I like to say it was my influence that the season turned around, but they also signed Kadiri Richards, who is the best big man I've ever been on a court with. He just is a monster, will tell you how he's going to block your shot or shut you down each possession. Um, but yeah, I, I like to include me and Kadiri joining the team, change the times. But no, at the time, I was, I was solely focused on, you know, I finished uni, I, I need to get a job, I need to pay my bills. You know, got my job and then like Worthing is, you know, 30 minute commute. I didn't even drive at the time. So it was luckily that the, the train connections worked out for me. Yeah, went on down to a couple of their training sessions and then, the signing deadline is the end of January. And um, yeah, they just said, right, we, we want you part of the team. And yeah, loved it as soon as I got there. It was, again, the fans, the teammates I've had over the years, the coaches. Yeah, it was, it was a memorable seven years or six and a half, seven years that I had there. How has the transition been going from a familiar situation, like you say, for six and a half, seven seasons in Worthing, to then go to a new situation, new environment? How has that transition been? And also... What do you feel you've learned the most from that experience? Hmm. Um, it, one of the reasons I wanted to make the change was to almost unlock that unknown potential that comes with change. Again, Worthing, nothing wrong with that situation at all. Loved the six and seven years. But when it comes to, well, it was more of a personal development standpoint I was looking at. 
And by entering a new situation, a new coach, one of the best coaches in the country, great teammates who week in, week out, I would have to compete against and prove that I belong in that team, in the role that I have. It was enjoyable. Like that first sort of couple of weeks and, and first few months where we were really trying to get up our levels and come together as a team and also push myself personally um, was the reason I made that change. So, yeah, I hadn't, hadn't gone through that experience before since I moved away from the uni time and I did feel like that's something I, I wanted to I wanted to challenge myself with you know at the time I was thinking worst case it's one season you know if this goes absolutely awful and, and I'm terrible at basketball I can run back to some you know local league team or hopefully Worthing will hopefully have me back based on some good memories um, <laughs> instead the season actually went the way I hoped it would and the way I wanted it to and, and the way that I'd like to think my work ethic allowed it to go and yeah, it was, it was enjoyable to go through that change, have someone, you know, my conversations with Matt very early, so before I even signed, he pretty much gave me a breakdown of my own game. I was like, I, I sort of said, what kind of role do you see me in? You know, um, how do you see me fitting into the team? And he was reeling off how, you know, having me and dads paired on the wings would be great from a size and playmaking point of view. Um, he'd like me to work on my shot because I'm going to have, some open looks based on the attention that Ian and Trav are going to get and Elliot's sentence are going to get. Um, and that was quite inspiring to hear as well. Someone not necessarily setting you goals, but saying, here's how I think you are today, but here's where I think you could get to. And it gave me something to go away and, and week in, week out and say, right, I'm going to go and work on these areas. I'm going to go and uh, actually be a senior figure on a team as well. I went from having, you know, Zaire and Alex as, as teammates who, you know, were the vets and we're passed down the wisdom. So all of a sudden, I'm with a bunch of guys that are early 20s and a couple of them students. Now I'm seen as the vet. I'm seen as the one that perhaps needs to be a bit wiser. You know, how can I adjust to that in my role as well? Um, yeah, there was, there was a bunch of various different personal goals and, and reasons that that change, I feel, was, was great for me um, and, and was part of the journey of being being a Kestrel this year. For that point, mate, I know you, you've said a few times that this year was your, your efficiency season and something you really wanted to focus on. To get yourself to a point where you're shooting sort of 61.4% from the field, having done all that work, having made that transition, how, how did that feel? That must have been quite gratifying to be able to, to achieve. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a number of open looks just because of my teammates. So shout out to my teammates for, for just passing me the ball while I'm open in the corner most of the time. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a good challenge. You know, each year I, I always try to, I always like to think I can add something to my game or, or perhaps um, yeah, add something to my style a little bit. Since I started playing basketball, I was never a particularly great shooter. I, I had a couple of years of being an average shooter. I had one year in Worthing where I was a terrible shooter. I think it was 20% from three. And you start to notice how teams play you. Um, and it was actually playing against Solent uh, the season before I joined. That made me realise that they 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 would put Trav or Sam Turner on me. They did it in the final. And they did it in the in the season as well. And it got to the point where I was feeling a little bit disrespected by that. That teams felt that I was that sort of fourth or fifth option that they could just not put your worst defender on, but know that I'm perhaps not going to have to stretch that defender out to the perimeter as much as I need to. Um, so even if I wasn't coming into this situation at, at Solent where we already had you know, com uh, competent playmakers and, and an inside presence. I've, I'd always wanted to to get that sort of chip off my shoulder 
and be like, you are not gonna, you're not gonna be able to use me as your help defense. You're not gonna be able to play off me. Um, teams this year started off with that similar method. They were putting, you know, their their help defender essentially on me. Um, teams throughout the year started to adjust. Some teams didn't adjust. Um, but that was, yeah, that was a big thing for me to just say, look, I, I want to be able to hold my own on offense. You know, yes, I feel like I'm, I'm a great passer or I play great in a system, but there are times when the ball's going to, you know, get chucked to you or you have to make a play. Am I able to make those shots so teams can actually, well, have to adjust and essentially make our entire unit unguardable at all times? Um, so, yeah, that was, that was one of my, my big goals for the year, just to, just to work on my shooting, work on my scoring. Um, not necessarily volume scoring, but but yeah, knowing that the times where I can make a couple of shots, all of a sudden the lane is now open for Ian again. I make a couple of shots, Trav doesn't get double teamed. I make a couple of shots, Luke can blow by his man and, and throw down a dunk. Um, that was sort of my driving force for, for this year. It's quite clear to see that when you watch the games back, how much of a vocal leader you are on that side, whether it's you know when the camera's on the bench or even in the game, just you know seeing your basketball IQ from the way that you're helping teammates and as you say being that sort of veteran presence was was really really cool to see and I suppose what what were the parallels between you obviously being in that position and having been in that position yourself with people like Alex Awumi and and, and Zaya Taylor who again who, who were around at the Worcester Wolves there when we were at university obviously you would have been familiar then with them from that time but how much did they help you growing as a player during during years with the Thunder? They helped massively I, I think not just on-court help, but having those older figures or people that perhaps have achieved, you know, higher heights in basketball than you or have been where you want to get to, you know, that is, that is, that is untapped resources. You know, I want to get to the point where I'm annoying people by asking them questions. Um, you know, whether it's trying to pick up their style of play or, you know, I think I asked Zaya a couple of times, you know, Zaya has some of the the craziest, you know, dribble combinations and scoring moves. Um, I never asked him about his 360 layup. I will never add that to my game. <laughs> Some of his breakdown moves, you know, he's, very, he's able to very easily size up a man one-on-one -on -one and not only see his man, but also where the help is and be able to put himself in a position and break down that defensive stop right there and then. Um, you know, I'll, I'll pick his brain in it. I'll say, right, I'm, I'm trying to pick you up and force you left. You're still going right. What do you see? He's like, oh, you've got to be looking at his feet. You've got to be looking at where his help man is, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think you should always be trying to learn, always trying to you know, add knowledge to yourself. And the best place to start with that, you know, are your vets, are your experienced guys, are your highly skilled guys, um, and are the people that, you know, you, you, you train with week in, week out. Um, you know, another guy that adds to that list is, is Tom Ward. I, I live with the guy. Um, you know, I've, I've spent so much time with that guy over the years. And, you know, I'll just pick his brains. I'll just ask him questions about, you know, his, his journey, his story. I always joke to him because he's always got so many stories about um, the time he spent over in college in America. Um, I just want to know all this information. You know, how do you see the game? How do you, what's your play style? You know, what's led you to this point of being here? Um, and yeah, going into this year at, at Solon, there were, for whatever reason, we were all together in this moment and we wanted to maximise this season because you don't know where it can take people. Um, you know, Luke, for example, came off a couple of, of, of foot injuries. He's got something to prove. He wants to prove he can still go out there and be the, the player he knows he can be. 
So if there's anything I can see and share with him in a moment, I'll share it with him. One of the big things for Luke was he didn't want to shoot the ball. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. That sounds really familiar to the story I've had for the first couple of years playing at Worthing. Didn't really shoot or couldn't shoot. And teams got to the point where they, again, could sag off and put their worst defender on me at times. So I'm like, Luke, you, you, you know, you've got to be shooting this ball immediately. Even, even if you, you perhaps don't feel you want to, you need to unlock that confidence in yourself to go and do it. All of a sudden, he, you know, he hits a couple of shots. Now his, his drive game and his athleticism gets to shine even more. You know, if there's just little moments like that, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, you know, a guru or I'm an expert or I've got you know, any secret knowledge that no one else has. But I, I felt personally the best learning experiences I got as a player were from other players and my peers in particular moments. So if I can somehow share that with, you know, with teammates or anyone who asks, then I will gladly go ahead and do that because you don't know what that, what they'll do with that one piece of information or that one takeaway. You don't know how, if they get one piece from you and you know, one bit of information from every teammate in front of them, what they're going to go and do and how that can inspire them or help them you know, get to the next level. So, um, yes, it's interesting that that kind of thing shows from, from your guys' perspective. I just, if there's any way I can help, help a teammate out, um, you know, I always feel like I can, I can go ahead and do that. I know Alex has obviously had some pretty incredible experience in, in well, in Livia. His book, uh, Gaddafi's Point Guard, came out a few years back. A really great read for anyone that, that is, is looking for some time to kill. And I believe it's, it's, it's being made into a film. I don't know how much you know about that and whether he's talked about it much. Uh, it got, I think it got announced this season. So, of course, I didn't get to sort of ask him at training or in games or anything. But, yeah, keep touch sure. with Alex. Yeah, yeah. And that's a huge thing. I think his his story and yeah some of the the things that took place and again the adversity he, he's come up to yeah it's an incredible story and and he shared he shared snippets of it you know with me over the, the couple of years we were teammates um and yes yeah, it's, it's interesting to see you know there's i'm sure maybe not as extreme stories or situations that people can tell but it has always fascinated me that you know during every game if you just stop and reflect and think you've got you've got what, 24 players, a couple of refs, a couple of coaches, table officials, fans if it's a high enough level game. And everyone at that moment has ended up on that court playing or watching or participating in that game. And everyone has a story to tell that led them to that moment. Um, and Alex is, a, is just a really interesting story to have seen happen, you know, to go through you know, what he went through for that year. Um, and then be able to come out the other side, write it down in words for everyone to take in, and then also be able to then share that with someone like me or any teammate, I'm sure anyone that's asked him. Um, it's incredible to see. And, and he's, you know, he's a very humble man, um, always got time for anyone that's, that's stopped and asked him a question. Um, and yeah, I look forward to seeing how that, how that movie or, or documentary, however it's, it's coming out, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing that one. Cameron Hildreth is obviously a junior that now plays for Worthing um, mm. that is, you know, flying off the charts in terms of his, his level and his potential. I, I don't think you guys played on the same team together at the same time, but any, any thoughts on, on his game and, and seeing someone obviously British-born coming through a similar setup to mm. yourself, I suppose, in this British system and, and you know, putting up 35 in Div 1. Uh, at his age, what what are your thoughts on his his performances and development? Yeah, Cam's Cam's story is is just an awesome story. He is a phenomenal player 
his age already. Haven't had him as a teammate, but for my last year in Worthing, he was actually training with us for that for most of that season. I think when when time allowed. If you if some if a stranger walked into that gym and just observed training for five, ten minutes or, or or games, you wouldn't know that he is the junior. You wouldn't know that he is he's only been playing for well, not say playing less years, but you know, he hasn't yet even reached his college or his uni years yet. He's gonna be pretty special. Um, you know, Danny, again, a guy I know very well from you know, coaching a friend, I think has done you know a great job in just allowing him to just be himself and just allow him to just create his game and just continue playing because he loves playing the game. You know, I'm sure being around it when when your dad's a BBL player probably really helps you get that spark going. So yeah, Cam Cam Cam's an awesome one. I look forward to seeing where he where he gets to next. The more earlier years for yourself, Brendan. Obviously, we met at university, but I, I suppose where I'm coming from here is that there's not a particularly big wealth of systems like you've been through around in the UK. But for, for myself, sort of coming from Gloucestershire, I know, you know for me to, to find something like that coming into the game at sort of 16, I had to wait until I got to university and I had people like Albert Zewa, PJ, all those guys sort of helping me. And obviously, I was never the level that you, got, you guys have been, but just to kind of piece together. I suppose the the basketball IQ side of it, I played in the National League, but it, I really struggled sort of coming into that university setup in the early years, as you know, sort of finding my space in in a system and learning things like regular, which um, everyone that ever has been to the University of Worcester will know pretty well. <laughs> I, keep into, I, I keep seeing PJ running the same playbook at Print Plymouth this year, and I'm calling out the players I'm watching it. Regular, five, twins, horn side, <laughs> down stack I could, I could run it all still to this day because at 7 a.m on a monday morning we would run that right. and got it correct or you run enough suicides that your legs didn't work <laughs> and that was killer as well man because like i was living in Cheltenham, i was commuting every day so i'd be waking up at like quarter to six whatever it was every day traveling no. there and then playing it was it was mad but an amazing experience and i'm you know really really thankful for that but it, yeah in terms of in terms of your your fruition, I suppose, as a player, like starting there and you had a little bit of a run at Midnight Madness as well, where you got some exposure from a good friend of ours and Sam at, at Hootswicks. What, what was it like for you? Obviously, what, what year did you come into basketball in that setup? And when did you like start learning plays and, and yeah. taking the first steps into organised basketball, I suppose? Yeah, so I, I guess to go right to the start, I started playing basketball when I was 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly. Um, so we actually went on a family holiday to America on the East Coast and mainly New York. Um, and we actually were in Philadelphia for a couple of nights. And my brother, who's a couple of years older than me, already knew basketball. Of course, it wasn't really on TV. I think you had like a once a week highlight show at best. Um, and he was already into it. So he had said, let's get tickets, go watch a Sixers game. Um, so it was 2002, I think it was. So just after, of course, AI's. Uh, you know, playoff finals run. Um, they played against Portland. He had 35 points. Um, I saw this, you know, barely six foot skinny guy dominate the game of basketball. And I was like, wow, I'm a, I'm a tiny skinny guy. Maybe I can try and play basketball. Um, nagged our mum to get us a, a hoop for the driveway as soon as we got back. Um, you know, it took her a month or two before we, we broke her and she got us one. Um, and then I was just out there, you know, all the time, just at the time, lobbing the ball at the hoop, not really much skill involved. Um, and then going into the next school year, I think I was going into year eight at the time, um, 
in, in Milton Keynes, it's a different school system, but you go to your secondary school at year eight. Um, I was playing football for a couple of months. I was terrible at football. And all the new friends I made at school were basketball players. And they had just built a new outdoor basketball court at the school. So all of a sudden I was like, right, forget football. I'm rubbish at it. I don't like the cold. Let me go continue and do basketball. Um, so yeah, all, I basically followed that friendship group to their local league club. Um, then we, they were all already playing for Milton Keynes Lions. So I think it was under 16s or under 15s at the time. I can't remember. Um, eventually, again, through a couple of months of practice, I managed to get into the, the, um, the Lions junior team. Um, but I was, I was always, it's quite funny, I was always behind the England point guard at the time. So we had Rob Lofman. Oh, wow. Years. So Rob, Rob was actually the school year under us. So you had Rich Lofman, who was his brother, who was my year, who was shooting guard. You had Rob Lofman, who was point guard. Um, still one of the best players I've, I've ever had to play against week in, week out. Um, I, you know, he stopped playing basketball, but I'm sure he could have been another success story that, um, that England could have had. Um, yeah, so I was behind him for a couple of years. And then uh, I can't remember why he, he left the team. Um, but then Connor Washington was there for my last year of under 18. So just as I thought, oh, I might get a starting role or some more minutes, in comes Connor um, and was just running circles around me and pulling up for mid-range jumpers. Um, so I always had, I was always that backup guard role, essentially. So I was watching games a lot. So I had to say to myself, right, if, as soon as I start getting minutes or as soon as I start playing, I need to make them effective minutes. So I can't be messing up the plays. I can't be taking ill-advised shots. I can't be um, you know, missing my teammates if they're open. So I was actually just trying to find a way, making sure that I foolproof myself for those minutes I actually got. Um, you know, no fault of Roger Malpass for not playing me. At the time, I was very undersized and had zero muscle on my body. <laughs> um, you know, and we had other players. So I wasn't playing because I, I probably shouldn't have been playing. Great decision, Roger. But the few minutes I did get, I was actually able to, to, to contribute, or I feel like I contribute. Um, so that Midnight Madness experience was, was quite surreal at the time because I actually only went to get the free T-shirt. <laughs> so I saw all the emotion <laughs> behind it. And it was, uh, it was the, I think it was the last year they did the, the full countrywide tour. And, and this, I think the second from last one was Milton Keynes. So I was like, yes, right, it's free. I can go play basketball get myself a t-shirt, you know, that's, that's a good Saturday spent. Um, yeah, went and, and played, played quite well in the sort of show improve, whatever it was called. Um, got put onto the elite court. Um, my team, so uh, we had, I had Chuck Duru, Warren Francis, I'm forgetting the other two names. Um, but yeah, we, we basically won like five or six straight games and it's a point system. You get yourself through to the next round in Nottingham. Um, did the same thing in Nottingham, and that was quite surreal because that's when I started to see some of the elite British guys. So you had people like, um, so I was in the under-18s category, but there was people like um, uh, Matthew Bryan Amening, um, uh, Teddy was over on the other side. There was a bunch of big, you know, big names that uh, in today's game that was, were was Bob Gilchrist around there as well. He was, I think, he was in that. I'm pretty sure he was. I, do you know? At the time, I honestly didn't. I was so out of the loop of sort of top tier. I didn't know anyone. I was, I was almost naive to it. And I was like, yes, 
Nottingham, that's another free T-shirt, another day of playing basketball. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> got through to the, um, uh, yeah, to the Crystal Palace. And then they had announced that, I don't know if they'd announced before or basically that LeBron James was going to be uh, appearing. And by this point, I was obviously, you know, I was, um, I was well aware of who LeBron was. We were, we were up on the bleachers watching the, the older age group doing a couple of drills. And yeah, LeBron and his entourage just walk in from the corner. Um, he's very nonchalant. I, I remember it so clearly. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's drinking a bottle of, bottle of Coke, cap on, just grey joggers. Um, you know, stands and watches for a bit. We take a break. So we're all, again, on the bleachers having, having a drink. And there's a ball just rolling in the middle of the court. He walks over, picks it up, makes probably five straight from the logo, halfway line, three-point shots. And all the jaws on the floor, like, this guy is a legend. Like, what is going on? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did a, yeah, did a couple of drills with, uh, with LeBron. Actually, he... <laughs> He actually threw me, you know, the, uh, the five and four transition drill. So he was the one throwing the ball out to, to the baseline. And he literally, I say threw a bullet pass. He probably just flicked his wrist at the time. Threw me a bullet pass. It went straight through my arms. He no looked at it as well. So I didn't even know it was coming my direction. Like smacked me in the chest, rolled to the side. I was like, oh shit. Picked this ball up, ran down, like turned the ball over because everyone was wearing the same coloured vest top. Um, yeah, came down the other end. I think I gave up like what would have been an and one if there was a ref, and just stood there. <laughs> Jesus, like how out of all the times to play probably the worst sequence of basketball of my life, it's in front of this man. That wasn't good. Um, Mate, I've I've got randomly a very similar story at Crystal Palace. I'm sure it was. Well, dang, every now and then he he did scrimmages back in the day. I think this was like 2011. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe 2012, but. I, I took some of my like summer league boys. We used to play at the the Bristol summer league. Similar thing, but not not to the same level, obviously. But we we all went down, and the wall is one of my like, basketball idols, and watched him since I was like sixteen. Take my dad was taking to me to GB games and all this kind of stuff. So it's like not not maybe LeBron area, but it was for me it was close. And I had a similar thing where like I was the point guard, was bringing the ball up, and these guys, as you know, like when you when you're sort of first starting or or, or still quite early on in, in, in sort of playing days. Bringing the ball up against elite defenders, especially if they're playing full court, is, is not always the easiest. And I think, mm. I got, I think I got stripped twice and he's watching. I'm just like, I just, I just want to call into a ball. <laughs> this is not fun. Not fair at all. But uh, yeah, man, that's a, cra- that's a crazy experience for you to have at that age, I'm sure. It, yeah, it was surreal. And then, uh, so we finished that. Uh, he disappeared for a bit. We, we did a few more, uh, like five and five games across all those courts at Crystal Palace. I think that the coach was doing their final selections. Um, and then, yeah, we came back down onto the main court. LeBron sitting there, did a, a bit of a Q&A um, with us. And then, they, yeah, they announced the people that were playing in the, in the, um, the black court final game. Um, and, yeah, I was called and I was standing there, you know, just stood up in front of everyone sitting down, just, like, looking at him. And I was like, oh, my God, like, how did I get picked for this after he just saw me? have the, again the worst sequence of basketball um so yeah that, that that was that was a cool experience then the final night itself you know it was just that was that was my first i say big stage it was it was big in terms of promotion of course what it does for the did for the culture and um, that was my first time where i could say I, I played or got exposure to the level of basketball and the level of talent at my age group again didn't have much national league exposure in terms of minutes and playing um, you know, local league is local league. Some people, you know, were playing five different sports and wearing Astros. 
Um, so that was my first sort of taste of it. Um, and then, yeah, went from, managed to, managed to win that. Um, and then that set me up, that was right at the end of summer. So it actually happened in August or late August. And then I went to uni about 10 days later. Um, yeah, went straight across to, to Worcester from that. Am I right in thinking you were the first fresher to be in the first team at the University of Worcester at that time? Uh, I don't know. I was actually, I was, te- I was actually the 13th guy for the first team. So, yeah, anytime there were sort of injuries or I guess I had a good week of training, I would be bumped up. But I was actually mostly in the second team, but I trained with both teams. Uh, I don't think I was the first because I remember there was people like uh, like Albert was in the team. And me and Albert had sort of healthy relationship, you know, at training and stuff. I, I knew that Albert was, you know, again, he was one of those great on-ball defenders, uh, great shooter. And I was like, right, if I, if I need to prove I belong in the first team, I'm going to have to go and compete with this guy or at least this guy. Um, so me and Albert had some great training sessions over, over that, over those first couple of years, um, just because I, again, I had to prove myself and I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to be as good as those first team guys. Um, but yeah, I didn't actually, when it came to the end of the season, because I think there's a point we have to commit to which team you're part of. Um, I was actually on the second team with Chris Mays coaching us. Um, I didn't go and play in, the Bucks that year, which I think they end up having like three injuries to to like the imp- the um, to the Lithuanian guys, I think it was, um, and they ended up um, not winning. Yeah, we used to have a lot of um, guys from various places because Peter had so many connections, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And I suppose Worcester University of Worcester nationally came under a little bit of criticism for that um, for having you know, BBL level players sometimes because of the, the master's options that they provided in their first teams. Um, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to remember who was on your team for that 2012 Bucks win, but I don't, I don't think you had many, many BBL players in that, maybe one. So one year we had uh, Prezi, uh, was it was Prezi on the team? Tommy Freeman, lights out shooter. Oh, Tommy, yeah. I think my lot. I think my team, I don't think we had. I think we only had maybe one. I'm really bad. It's the big game. man's. I forget. Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah. It's the big man, isn't you, it? Um, yeah. <laughs> we had a bunch of. We had a bunch of us. Uh, I say regular guys. I English guys. We had uh, Albert, Dorian, uh, Courtney. I think Charlie was on that team. Um, Joey, Joey. There was a bunch of, had actually been there and grinded out a couple of years. Even the guys that were. Know, the BBL or the master guys, masters guys. It's not like they just walked into the sports world on Wednesday and played 40 minutes. You know, they were at training with us every single day and pushed us. I think there was a few other situations where perhaps people had had sort of exposed the rule and just, you know, had these BBL players just turn up on game days, play 40 minutes, score 40 points, and everyone being a bit like, yeah, that's not really how the system should work. You know, we always had guys that, that were at training, were, you know, were treated equally, you know, had to earn their minutes and, and, you know, we earn our minutes as, um, you know, as the, as the, again, I say regular guys, but, you know, non-scholar guys. Um, and yeah, so I think over the years, we, we the year, we, the third year when we actually got our, our well, my second, um, was mostly all the, all the guys that I'd, you know, I'd been grinding with for three whole years. And, and, and that one was, you know, it was a great way to end uh, and the uni experience. In terms of the your favourite moment playing at University of Worcester, what what would you what would you say to that? It's quite tough. You can't say Joey that's missed dunk. <laughs> to be fair, he threw down a couple as well. So 
He uh, did. I'm only kidding. I just had to get it in there. My favourite moment in terms of one, like, just split second was, uh, was the varsity game where, again, thanks to Joey, um, off his, I got, got a putback dunk. And there's a picture of it, and you see that uh, you've got Dorian under the hoop, just like already yelling before I've even thrown it down. And that was like my biggest like poster dunk. I think just I think just winning bucks. I, I don't think you can you can take away the feeling of winning, especially when we all knew it was our last games together. You know, going up to to Sheffield, where is it still held in Sheffield? It was in Sheffield at the time. Yeah, going up there again with the guys that you've spent three years, you know, working with. Most of us were, were last year guys anyway. And just, just going out and saying, right, this is the last time we're going to be together as a unit. So what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to go out here and win or we're going to just go out and just, you know, mess around. And everyone, you put in a shift and, yeah, managed to get, again, my, my second uh, in a row Bucks championship. So I'd, I'd probably just say, yeah, the, the winning at the end made it, made it all worth it. Any, anybody in t- stand out in terms of a favourite teammate? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. There was so there were so many ballers. Worcester at the time was like, I, again, I didn't realise when I first turned up, but Worcester at the time was like the place to be. It was what six at six out of seven years we had won. But yeah, there was and the BBL team as well. There was so many hoopers there, and I think I think the scrimmages in the summer were better than the games we were playing in the year at some point as well. In terms of teammates, well, Jack O'Keefe, obviously, that's he's the one that uh, dragged me down to Solent this year. Uh, you got Ewan, Roy Owen, like Dorian, Albert, again, guys I was with for, you know, three straight years over there. Um, I'm probably forgetting a bunch of names, so I'm, I'm going to stop there. Otherwise, people will, will probably call me up on that. But honestly, anyone that stepped in that sport over the three years, it was, it was, it was sick. We'd, you know, we'd have even people like, like Sam, who used to always just after training, just try and throw down, you know, two hand dunks and alleys. He's, he was only like five foot seven, five foot eight. But that guy is energy, just like, it's just so many people that if you were just to you know, name them off the bat now, but like, yes, I've got stories to tell about them because it was just the, the top to bottom talent and like just like culture we built, like was built there was, was awesome. And yeah, I, that got me hooked on basketball. Again, I hadn't had much of a, you know, serious exposure until I was, until I was 18. So to then finally get to uni and, and almost, was, I knew Worcester was, of course, a great uni for basketball but not realising the kind of people that were coming through the door over those years. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. It was, it was awesome. There's, there were so many people. The talent level was crazy, man. Uh, as, as a, me personally, coming from pretty much like a local league and very low sort of national league team and playing a lot with Aidan, who again was, you know, your, your neighbour and, and my, my housemate, along with Mark, actually, really. That's how we met um, <laughs> back in the day, you know. <laughs> um, it was great because, you know, I always had... I always had Aiden to bounce off uh, you know, from a basketball perspective. But then, as you say, the culture that they, we had there, just the amount of talent and people that were interested in basketball, it was like, it was like not, not like being in America necessarily, but it's, uh, it was a different world compared to what you'd have in, say, Cheltenham, <laughs> where you, no, one, no one really has an interest in it at all. Because of, you know, Worcester as a town, you know, isn't necessarily one of the, you know, key basketball hubs in the country. You know, you'd, you'd think of, you know, your, Lern- your London, your Birmingham's. Um, so to have Worcester at the time have so many again like ballers just be a part of the uni for those years, you know, was cool. And, and also the the relationships and the uh, the people that you keep in contact with from that. So you know, again, Jack being at Solent playing against him for you know three years when he's he's been coaching, and him saying right, you know, come along Southampton, what are you waiting for? 
Um, you know, seeing people like Courtney, who I ended up playing against for a couple of years as well, while he was over at you know, Hemel and Essex, we had some really good rivalries uh, rivalries with them. Um, you know, there's and seeing people that are still making a difference to basketball once they left Worcester and went back to you know their hometowns. Um, you know, people like Pete Wright, who's who's you know pretty much run or set up now a you know, basketball coaching in, in in his area now back up north. Um, you know, so many people where again they for whatever reason ended up in Worcester in that situation playing basketball again you know applied their craft got better had fun along the way and then you you know instantly you, you go back but your paths cross you know again and again over the years following that and I guess you guys on, on this podcast is a great example of that you know started off just because you two like basketball you live together and now what seven years after uni here we all are <laughs> yeah, <it's not> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It is crazy, man. Moving on to, to the NBA questions anyway, man. Sorry, I've, uh, I've gone into uni nostalgia far too much. Probably there. <laughs> no, obviously, you've kind of alluded to how you first got into the game. Jay tells me you're a Sixers fan. What yeah. attracted you to Philly? Is it that first sort of experience? We sort of mentioned it in the, in the opening sort of pilot pods. I'm a big Jordan fan because that was my first sort of memory. And I always mm. think those initial memories you gravitate back to for whatever reason. Yeah. Is that the same sort of thing for you? Same sort of process? Yeah, definitely. Again, in what, 2002, 2003, there wasn't this instant access to highlights and mixtapes um, and live games like there is today. Um, I know there was a couple of shows on like Channel 4 or ITV that over the time, but my only exposure to it was watching that game live in Philadelphia and then anything that I could remind my brother to record on uh, on on the VHS, that was the only way I had access to basketball. So the only thing I asked him to try and look out for was Philadelphia, was Allen Iverson. Um, obviously, once once you have that hook, or once you have that pull of a team, you know you you try and do your own research, you try and support them, try and follow them. Um, ended up going back to Philadelphia um, when I was. I think 17 or 18 again, again, watched another Philadelphia um, game. And yeah, they're, they're the team that, that stuck with me. You know, originally it was AI. And of course, at the time they were a good team. Um, I'm, I do trust the process. I will continue to trust the process. I feel, <laughs> I feel Sam Hinkie was done dirty. I think that man, he had started something special and they didn't let him finish it out. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to trust Ben Simmons, and he's one, game, one day going to start shooting jump shots. His back's going to be better. Joel Embiid is going to keep being, keep being the, the personality he is. He's going to keep – I don't care if he plays every other game or what. As long as when he does play, he has, like, 30 points. I'm fine with it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Sixers fan. I've been knocked for it many a time, but I, I, I won't change teams. I won't change teams. I'm a Knicks fan, Brendan, so uh, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure we can go back and forth a little bit on that. We don't even have a process to follow, bro. So <laughs> I think that's that's the probably one team you could have named that I would actually feel a little bit better than. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um, sort of on your sixes, then, just sort of testing your brains. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. But right. What's your? Who are your favourite sixes of this past decade? If you had to choose your top five, I'm a huge Iguodala fan. Even when he left, um, you know, now obviously we have Golden State. I've I sort of not modelled my game, but I always respected how he was always known as like the glue guy. 
you know, he wasn't necessarily going to score 20 every night, but he's going to play defense, he's going to get out on the break, and he's going to just impact a game with energy. And again, uh, you know, I, I wasn't known as a shooter. I wasn't, I haven't always been, well, I've never been the man or the go-to guy. So always being able to see how he's able to impact the game without having to, you know, have the ball or, um, or score a lot. Um, always admired that. I think Drew Holiday actually has been, before he got traded, I think they really should have kept him on. Uh, I thought that was a shame for you guys. Yeah, and look what he's doing now. Pelicans, he's, you know, he's got a young roster around him. But I think I think his game at the time, he was even an all-star when he was a sixer. And then we traded him away. So, again, Sam Hinkie, come back. Undo the wrongs, please. Um, and, yeah, I think I think today, today's roster, I think I think Ben Simmons is, is going to be special. I, again, I like the way he plays, pass first. People want to slate him for not shooting. It's just because it's different. The current norm of today's game is to launch threes from the halfway line. If you're not doing that, you're seen already as a tier less. I'm sure it will go through phases where all of a sudden passing will become, you know, a, a, one of the top skills or, or seen in, in um, the special. Maybe <coughs> big men will get their attention again in a couple of years. You don't know how it's going to play, but right now he yeah, he does seem to, people, I guess, see him like Marmite because he's a point guard but doesn't shoot. However, he's got all these other great skills to him. Um, you know, let him rock with those. I'd probably say Embiid as well. Is that four or five? You've got four. Your power forward. You've missed. Use your power forward. Um, Slim pickings. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> you know, for the. I know he had he had an outrageous contract, but I did kind of like Elton Brand. Yeah, he was on. He was on the sort of the, the back end of his career, but again, I think he had. A, I think he had quite a nice game to him. A couple of injuries, but yeah, less 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 penciling Elton Brand in that four spot. Okay, okay. I, I thought you may have gone for Thad Young. I thought you may have gone for a young Thad Young in that situation. But yeah, yeah, Alan I, Brand, cool. I did like that, but he only had his first couple of years of us since mm. then. I think, I think, I think his year at uh, he's a ball. He's at the Bulls now, right? Or was at the Bulls? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think his year at Indiana, he had a really great year, uh, and that again leaves too soon, doesn't get a chance to flourish. Um, story of the Sixers. Um, but no, uh, yeah, Elton Brown will do. So, who would you trade out of Embiid and Simmons? Obviously, you guys were touted at the start of the year as Eastern Conference sort of favourites alongside the Bucks with Giannis and those guys. Do you think there's team chemistry concerns there? Do you think Simmons is ultimately going to be better without Embiid or vice versa? I know that's quite mm. a lot to throw at you. No. Look, this narrative is completely different if one of Kwai's four bounces goes a different direction. Because I am so sure if that shot didn't go in, we win in overtime. Um, I, th I think we would have won it all. Again, the way that Golden State obviously had injuries on top of it as well. I don't think you need to do anything. I think you need to just surround them with the right pieces. I think getting back someone like a JJ Redick, uh, you know, an elite shooter, I think would really help. I don't think either of them need to go anywhere. Now, I know I can probably already see you trying to press this question again, so I have to answer it. If I have, <laughs> I have to get rid of one of them, or if I have to trade one of them, it's probably Embiid, Oof. because I think he's got higher trade value. So I'm trying to think about from a business angle, I can probably get a bigger return for him. I think... Teams, you have to have an elite point guard 
in the current game. And I do believe that Ben belongs in that category and will continue to get better and, again, be a top-tier point guard. And I think with Embiid, if I can get him away before, again, big men, if they have injuries early in their career, is that going to help them later in their career? So if I'm looking at longevity, you know, it's probably got, going to be Embiid. I would take Embiid on the Knicks any day. Yeah, but what have I you got love. to trade? What are you trading us? Oh, man. I don't know at this point. We're, we're, <laughs> I, I don't know. We're... We're um we're rumored to be in the market for Chris Paul, but for forty million in twenty twenty one, Brendan, that concerns me. But that we sounds don't have exactly a... like the Knicks. Uh, I know. <laughs> I've been telling him, mate. I've been telling him the whole time. <laughs> think about it as well. You got you got Chris Paul and then four power forwards, so he's just running uh, non-stop. Ah, uh, Brendan, I I I can't I, I can't I can't I can't do it anymore, man. It breaks me like. I can't deal move with Move on it. before Mike starts crying. Uh, Come on. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll move swiftly on to better things. Um, do you rate Tobias Harris? Because obviously there was a little bit of indecisiveness on the Sixers end, whether or not they were going to trade away Jimmy or let Jimmy go, as it were, and vice versa. So are you happy, ultimately, that they made that decision, that they didn't keep Jimmy? Or would you, or would uh, you rather have got rid of Tobias? Well, I'll answer that two ways. Yes, I rate Tobias Harris. I'm going to put a little asterisk because I feel we gave up too much to get him. Again, that's a GM issue, not a Tobias Harris issue. I think Tobias Harris is a fine wing. I think he's, he's a capable scorer. I think he, w- he will fit and does fit around a Simmons and Embiid type of lineup. Um, on the other hand, I also highly rate Jimmy Butler. Um, I didn't get the whole narrative that he was a... Uh, he was like a, a culture shock or, you know, he clashed with teammates. Um, he's actually one of the few players outside of, you know, super superstars like LeBron's of, of the league and people that have played on the Sixers that I actually liked and sort of, you know, did a bit of research and, you know, followed on social medias and, you know, watched YouTube stuff around um, before he came to Philadelphia. So when it was announced, I was like, sweet. Like he's he's a great guy. I think he's the kind of person that's going to push people forwards. Yeah, to see him leave, you know, after such a short period of time, whatever went wrong went wrong. But I think we're still we're still left with the the right like foundation for an elite team. You know, if I'm sure if Jimmy could have stayed, Jimmy would have stayed. I think Elton Brand offered, well, was going to or did offer him and everyone a contract anyway to stay to keep those four. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll never know what fully happened as to why he left. But you know, to go to Miami and they were, well, they actually were above the Sixers before the the season got uh, <laughs> got cancelled, <laughs> got, got postponed. So I'm sure he's he's living fine with his decision. But yeah, I, I I rate Tobias, I rate Jimmy. I think that I think again there was more potential in that. If again, if Kawhi makes a different shot, doesn't make his shot, maybe we're all living happily and and we trusted the process and it was all worth it. But Instead, it's not, and it's uh, it's gone about five steps back. Who do you see in the NBA Finals if we do return this year? Obviously, that we are gaining some traction. That hopefully, you know, if we are able to get to some degree of normality, and the players mm. are obviously going to be safe, who do you see potentially as the NBA Finals NBA finalists? I should say this year. Uh, I mean, and I, I actually don't want to say this because uh, my teammate Ian was trying to tell me from day one as soon as Bron signed that it was it was good to go. But I didn't believe this year Lakers would make it. But 
Lakers look legit. I think <laughs> I think LeBron, I know there's a GOAT debate about him and MJ right now. I think LeBron would just do whatever is it takes to get them to the finals. Um, I think on the East, I think the Bucks, the Bucks are playing nice. Like the Bucks have consistently been up there. I'm just trying to think if there's a matchup that would throw them off. And it's definitely not the Sixers. You know, Boston looked looked decent all year. Um, you know, I'm sure they've got a chip on their shoulder wanting to to go one step further post Kyrie. Based on based on playing style, I'd say a Boston and Lakers final. And let's bring it back to the roots and the heritage of uh, of the later days with that rivalry getting started up again. That would be a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. I still think the Celtics are a year or two away. I think Tatum's got a little bit more development to go of being that key guy. But he's definitely, definitely showing signs. That would be a really exciting thing to see. Just quickly on that, as you touched on it, are you a Jordan guy or a Bron guy? Who are you saying is the goat for I you? Had, I had this debate on Twitter the other day, actually. I Can we just appreciate both of them? Like, I don't think there is a wrong answer. It depends. What are you define? How do you define the greatest of all time? What is your number one characteristic? Because if you say winning out of those two, then yes, MJ gets it. For me personally, just based on what he he is able to do on the basketball court and off the basketball court, I am a LeBron fan. I've, yeah, again, it probably does go back to Midnight Madness and seeing the guy in person and, and being in awe of him. But I just think. You know, when he won that, that chip for Cleveland, have you ever seen another human being go on a mission the way he did? I, I, don't, think, I don't think Bron gets enough credit for that. And, I, and, I, don't, and I, I think you can go back and forth on it in terms of errors and the physicality of the game and how the play was officiated. And, but in terms of just the will to win in LeBron and having that pressure on himself and also the social media narrative I don't know how MJ would have coped with that. It, it's a very different time, isn't it? You know, to have that sort of um, exposure 24 hours of the day, seven days a week, and mm. scrutiny every single move that you do. I mean, how is that for a professional athlete? I mean, that must be extremely difficult, you know? So, all respect to him. Mm. I think as well, with obviously the, the Last Dance documentary that's, that's coming out at the moment, it is fascinating to see that, the mental approach that Jordan had to the game. And you have to give complete respect to that. Um, you know, him finding ways to keep himself motivated to play night in, night out, or having guys, you know, having those rivalries and, and wanting to come back better year on year. Like, of course, that is, that is an elite athlete and that is one of the greatest of all time, proving again and again that he is the best. And, you know... I just want to I just want to stop and appreciate and enjoy what he was able to do. You know, he was just before my time in terms of following basketball. Um, you know, but being able to watch a documentary and see all those behind the scenes is, is um yeah, is awesome to see. And it also makes you start to think about, you know, what's what's Kobe's documentary gonna look like, what's LeBron's documentary gonna look like, you know, when uh, when his career's all said and done. Um yeah, I, again, I don't think you can go wrong with, with either of those guys, but I just think, yeah, perhaps today today's world is different. Today's game is different. Um, some people want to say today's game is softer. Okay, fine. But I, I also think the average skill of an NBA player today, the average athleticism of an NBA player today 
is greater than it was in Jordan's era, perhaps. So yeah, I think what what LeBron has been able to do for for what seventeen straight years, eight straight final, like con- the consistency, I think is yeah is underappreciated, undervalued uh, for what he's been able to do. Just the last two, Brendan, and then we can let you go, man. Do you model your game after a particular NBA player? I know that you kind of alluded to earlier in the pod about Andre Iguodala, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But is there anyone specific, like, you know, NBA, BBL, anyone in particular that you sort of modelled your game after? Uh, interesting, really. Um, I mean, I always tried to uh, to recreate, you know, AI's game, you know, the shiftiness and the crossover. You know, obviously, never, never got close to that or, or got it down the way I would have hoped. But yeah, I think perhaps AI's ability to, you know, to get knocked down and just get straight back up, and just next possession, just again, offensive end go at you again. Um, I, you know, I always tried to sort of steal that sort of approach a little bit. Um, yeah, Iguodala being energy guys, I've always liked yeah energy guys like Jimmy Butler as well. I, people that can impact the game without needing to dribble the ball 10 or 15 times every possession. I've just, I've just always rated it. I've always enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I've never, in any of the situations I've been in, I've never been the, the main focal point of, of an offense or a main focal point of a, you know, a team in terms of elite talent. So yeah, just finding guys that are able to impact the game without the ball um, and take advantage of their situations. You know, and perhaps are even even guys that you know sacrificing having a greater role on a lesser team or results in less wins, but still going out there and competing. I've always I've always appreciated that. So, yeah, if I could if I could try and just steal anyone's skill set, I I would have taken AIs back in the day. Um, I think just trying to look at, at today's game. Um, I mean Ben Simmons passing is is phenomenal. I actually really like Jason Kidd. Back in the day as well, when he was at his um, his next years, um, again being able to to just facilitate and and find your team in the right spots, I, I always like that, and I guess that's where I also got perhaps my court vision or, or path first mentality from. Um, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I think I think they're probably the main the main couple that I've I've probably tried to pinch over the years. Um, and and finally, Brendan, who do you think you play most like in the NBA today? Uh, <laughs> good question. Uh, I might, I might leave that to you. Actually, give me, give me some names and we can compare. I can't. I'm, I'll try and think. Jay, help me out, bro. <laughs> hey. Um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm making sure you're still awake. <laughs> mate, I was sleeping. I didn't even you for a while. Um. <laughs> I always thought. Again, it's it's obviously a big compliment, Brendan, but in terms of athleticism, maybe obviously not not quite the same level, but in terms of game, I've always sort of thought you had quite a, like a Pippin S thing going on. Um, I was going to say Scotty. I was going to say Scotty. All right, cool. So yeah, I think, I think you take that. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with that. Cool. Do you know? Do you know why? Do you know what? I, I think it's because you're a team guy, and like you said, you're a glue guy, but you're a facilitator. But even when you're watching you you're just constant positive reinforcement and the t- you can see the team just sort of gravitate and you just, you're there, you're on point all the time. You guys have been a testament not only to the NBL, uh, NBL but the BBL this season as well, like British basketball as a whole. Um, so congratulations on that. Oh, thank you, I appreciate that.
just to end out, the final thing for me would be, is there any, is there any advice that you would have for a younger, your younger self in terms of your development? And there's a lot of talk, obviously, about development in the UK now and how that's, you know, becoming better, um, but also the pathway to the US and how there are, you know, some hurdles to finding the right college for you and developing overseas, whether it's, you know, in the US or to be fair in Europe. What, what do you think on that? And then would, would you have done anything differently if you had to, to, to go again? Um, it's difficult. If, if I was to, you know, if I was to be starting today at 13 and picking up basketball, there'd be, there's more exposure, you know, social media and, and all the rest of it. There's way much more exposure. Um, you know, a lot of people now have, have been able to make that US, that journey from the UK to the US it's more and more frequent or, you know, be more and more apparent for people. Um, at the, at the, the time for me, it was something I, in all honesty, I just, I just didn't think about it. I didn't have, I didn't, you know, utilize my contacts I had. I didn't utilize myself. I didn't push myself perhaps as much at the time to look at it. Um, you know, a host of reasons. Um, and I also don't think that the US, the US route is the only route you can go to be elite. Um, you know, everyone's journey, everyone's story is different. You know, I, I essentially didn't have my, my biggest development in terms of playing was my last year of uni and well, this season and also I think my second or third season in Worthing. So for me, my, you know, my career is very much not not. Uh, back-end loaded but is much more recent in terms of development and opportunities that could come knocking um, I think it's, it's more important just to be ready for when your opportunity is there understand what opportunities could be there for someone at whatever stage they're at um, and just not being afraid to ask and you know pick people's brains speak to your peers speak to the elite British guys we have today you know, speak to those elders that are on your teammates if you're at, if you're at the professional level already and see what it took them to get where they went. Um, I think there's, there's a slight, uh, yeah, there's a slight misconception that going to college in America is just this big, shiny, grass is green situation when actually I probably know a lot more examples of where it went wrong or there was false promises or... You know, it's just it's just not how the story perhaps is being told by people on English soil. It is. Um, so speak to those people that have been through it and see what it really takes and then check in with yourself. Are you actually ready to put in that grind and put in that work? You know, I, I can confidently say I have put in a lot of work and I have reached NBL Division One. So I can only imagine what those guys that have played at the BBL built careers in there look like people that have been packing their bags and going across to a different european country every single year to play in those leagues people that did go and spend four years away in college in america what was that like you know i, I was i was in worcester i was a, an hour train ride away from milton Keynes and being at home i couldn't imagine what it'd be like to spend four years away from you know all your your local support for that period of time um so yeah, I, I don't think I would do anything different or give myself any new advice, like you know, work on this skill or work on this game. But I would 100% say that there is so much more resources and information out there that people are currently people yeah, people aren't currently using 
that they could that could drastically shape your career when you're ready to commit to taking that next step that next level whatever it is that's, that's brilliant mate and, and again really really appreciate your time today um it's been great to, to catch up after you know the last few years as well um so yeah man thank you very much no problem it's been fun guys a special thank you to brendan okorunquo solent cashless guard for coming onto the pod Please like and subscribe if you've enjoyed listening so far. We are available on Spotify, Apple Pod, SoundCloud and YouTube. Coming up in the next few podcasts, we review episodes five and six of The Last Dance. We'll be speaking with Josh Bett, international commentator who freelances for FIBA and the Basketball Champions League. Pat Boylan, Indiana Pacers radio host, sideline reporter and play-by-play announcer for the Indiana Fever. And finally, Sam Neater, owner of Hoops Fix and full-time British basketball advocate. We look forward to having you join us.